I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you hear or see the word collections or collections department, what does it trigger in your mind? And I don't think that's necessarily positive. And if the person on the end of the phone is actually designated as a collector, what is their mindset? And, you know, Whilst training will take care of some of that, shouldn't we be trying to change that perception in the first place? So, no, why call it collections? Hong Kong, London, Mexico City, Hong Kong, Kuala Lumpur, Singapore. That's just the second half of Chris Somerville's globetrotting career. One we'll be mining for insights today. That he's here spending an hour of his own time talking to me rather than enjoying a New Zealand summer, is his own fault. You see, I once delivered an industry webinar that was supposed to be closed out with 10 minutes from our collections expert. But as often happens, a mix of misunderstandings and overlapping obligations meant that it wasn't possible, and I had to scramble to come up with a slide or two to fulfill the promises of the agenda. After that session, I got an email from Chris. He congratulated me overall, but also a little cheekily, I thought, pointed out it was clear my collections knowledge was a bit rusty. And so, yeah, to pay for that, he's today's guest on How to Lend Money to Strangers. And I'm your host, Brendan LaGrange. But yeah, so Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've had a career that spanned literally the globe in collections primarily, but I, I guess across the operations space in lending. So before we dive into some of those lessons and insights you've picked up along the way, would you mind starting with just a bit more of a detailed background to give us some context? Sure. Thanks for having me on your program. I hope I'm able to help your audience with providing some insight and help into managing retail portfolios from a credit loss perspective. So my name's Chris Somerville. I have worked in retail lending for around about 25 years. Most of that time, I've worked in operations, managing underwriting, contact center and fraud teams, but predominantly I've worked in collections and recovery operations for global financial institutions. I've been fortunate enough to live and work in eight countries outside my own. I'm originally from New Zealand, predominantly in Asia, so India, Hong Kong, Singapore and Malaysia, but I've also worked in Mexico where I had oversight for North and Latin American countries and recoveries. And I also spent some time in the UK where I had oversight for some European portfolios. I did make a conscious decision to work for a multinational company that would give me an opportunity to travel, develop my skills, and ended up in collections or credit management, which is probably a more appropriate term these days. 
And if you've worked in the industry over this time, you would have seen a lot of changes in how collection operations works. A lot of these changes have been driven by different things, but primarily technological advancement. Yeah. So when we worked together, I knew you had worked internationally, but eight countries besides New Zealand really is a, a, a globe spanning career. And I know that you are a, a big traveler and I think we'll, we'll pick up on some of that as we go along. But now you're back in New Zealand. So yeah, a few decades away from home. That obviously presents a nice bookend to your career, but also a good time to look back at some of those changes and think through what you've seen happen, the lessons you've learned both with the progress of time, but also seeing collections or, or credit management in different countries, in different cultures. What are some of those bigger lessons or changes that you've noticed when you sort of think back now on your career? I probably will show my age a bit. When I, when I first started in collections, we had paper files. You'd call a customer and you'd write with a pen on the file. And then those files would be taken at the end of the day and put into a filing storage room. And then at a certain date in the future, depending on the strategy, someone would have to go and pull all those out again. And then they would be updated with the next action. As I said before, a lot of the changes have been driven by technological advancements. So now we have dialing machines, we have electronic messaging. Probably more importantly, we now have the ability to collect, store and use data. And therefore, there's been a rapid development in analytical capabilities. So if you add stricter regulatory requirements that, that are in place compared to 20 years ago, the development of call models, not exactly a model, but a way of discussing customers' accounts. So institutions providing a guide on how to handle collections calls uh, with quality assurance overlays and also now getting customer feedback surveys. So the sort of the 1990s, 1980s, maybe simple calls of please pay now or bad things may happen are a distant memory of the not so good old days. So coming back to your question around what happens in different countries, customers' needs are the same wherever you go. So that hasn't changed. However, there are cultural differences between countries that need to be considered. Best practice solutions work best with a local overlay. As examples, in a number of Asian countries, customers will not pick up the phone if the call comes in as an unidentified number or if they know it's the collection department number. SMSs work very well in India. In China, for example, a lot of the interactions are via mobile phone applications like WeChat. SMS is something antiquated like Facebook for many young people in, in Asia because they've all got mobile phones now. In Mexico, a personal touch is still required. So if the customer can't pay, in most cases, they turn to their family to get them help. And so the solutions take a bit longer. In Hong Kong, time is money. So if the customer picks up the call, the duration is a lot shorter, as is the resolution. And in a place like Australia, mentioning the word hardship means the customer gets preferential treatment due to the customer protection in place. So they usually, it comes up early in the call if the customer is aware, which, which most of them are. And therefore, you know, the situation changes and the people handling the call need to move into that mode of understanding the customer situation a lot more. You talked about the 90s, the 80s and 90s and the, the bad old days of, of saying, yeah, pay up or something bad might happen. But to me, it still feels like if you just stop someone in the street, 
and you asked him what is a collections experience going to be like if you're late. That's what we would still think of. And maybe a lot of the collections departments have been slowly moving away from that model. But those of us who've been lucky enough not to have to end up in collections would still have the default that we assume it's going to be somebody quite angry on the other end of the line. And I think it's going to hopefully change a little bit with COVID that more people have been exposed to solutions in the collection space or but it feels like that's where the industry needs to move to just getting that message out not just changing but making sure consumers know that it's changed yeah adapting to the cultural norms is a big part of that i can remember back in sort of turn of the century when i was doing some collection strategy we were rolling out an unnamed collection system and the company was an overseas company they flew out some consultants and the consultants were obsessed with sending letters. So they kept talking to us about how the system would send automatic letters. And we had to explain that that was kind of pointless because the post office was just going to lose any letters. We needed SMS and it wasn't a technology they were using. Letters worked very well and it genuinely baffled them. And they had to create all sorts of workarounds so that you know, it could create a print file that could then get turned into SMSs, but they didn't have that cultural awareness, which is collections is collections. I'm not sure how many people, to be honest, would have your breadth of firsthand knowledge. But yeah, I think in collections is probably more important than most to, to get that right, because you're trying to get scarce money out of a consumer. Yeah. Some people have just forgotten, but the majority of people in collections are struggling to pay. So you really do need to do a good sales job on them, you know, you need to be treating them well to get that repayment. Yeah, I think you're right. It's not about the number of times or the, the number of channels that you use. And if you do use a lot of channels at the same time, how do you know what's going to be effective? I think that's a, a critical point. And it obviously costs a lot of money sending lots of letters or SMSs or even telephone calls. When you're talking about the optimal outcome, for the organization and for the customer, it's going to be the minimum number of interactions at the right time in the right channel that provides the optimal contact and outcome for the customer and, and for the person collecting the money. So that's fairly critical. And I think you raised a good point. How do you feel if that happens to you as a customer, if you're being called, you're getting SMSs, you're getting emails, or you're getting letters all at the same time? doesn't feel particularly good as a as a customer experience. Yeah, so I've got a, an email address that is quite similar to somebody else's. So every now and again, I get emails that are meant for them. And they are, by all appearances, behind on a few payments. And the letters that the banks are sending are very much of the old style still, where it's a long and complex letter with a legal threat written in there and pay, here's how to pay. It certainly doesn't project that image of trying to help, but... I do, with these interviews, hear more and more people than the, the leading edge of collections, at least now well aware of it. Well, I think that collections teams have been aware of it for a long time. I think what's changing now is that some of the leading lenders, that, that voice of collections is maybe being heard higher up. And finally, the purses are being open to invest in better experiences in collections. But it will, I'm sure, be a long road to walk until it's fully seen as credit management and a, a customer service role rather than a, than a punishment. You spoke about the digitization of the process allowing more analytics. 
this is an area that you can't lose the human input on. It's really hard to do detailed analytics in collections because there's so many moving parts. And early on in collections, you can maybe have a go with a specialist scorecard, but you give the loan and then you can track did somebody repay it or not. But in collections, one, immediately you've got far fewer people, but then everyone's there for a different reason and everybody has different things happen. Did you contact them? If you contacted them, did they make a promise to pay? If they did, did they keep that? All of these different forks in the road, opening and closing and coming back together. And then they paid one month, but then they've missed again. Where do they go in the process? Makes it remarkably hard to build an analytics-only model. And I guess the thing we need to be aware of as we roll out more analytics is not to lose this kind of human awareness, human touch, where somebody can shape these bigger processes with an expert eye. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, as, as humans, we, we like to deal with people that, that we feel comfortable with or that we like dealing with rather than people that we don't. So you're right. The industry has capabilities to segment and to get customers to respond. Obviously, in today's environment, as, as you've pointed out, there are internal scores, there's credit bureau, um, but there's other information sources that, that can be used as well. UK, for example, as a market leader now has open open banking. So you can use that information to actually help your customer to get out a, a, a better resolution that, that they can keep to. But for the customer, collections is only one part of their relationship with the financial organization. So most customers at some time in their lives face financial difficulty. So situations change, you know, um, we'd all like to hope that as we progress our careers, we, we get promoted or we find jobs that are paying more money so that our income goes up. And, you know, that gives us more opportunity in terms of lending as well. But a lot of this is outside their control, you know, as we've seen with, with the pandemic. So if it's outside the customer's control, then we need to take that into account. And that needs to be part of the training that the collector has. And for every interaction, specifically in collections, there needs to be the right outcome. And therefore, hopefully the customer will stay with you for the long term and then both the, the customer and the organization benefits. That is what's so tricky about collections. It's such a vulnerable time for the customer. At the same time, yeah, there will be customers in there that are taking a chance. So you've got to run that balance. But at the same time, yeah, it's a call center job, so it's, it's prone to high turnover a lot of pressure on the costs to kind of manage that down from, from senior management. So you've got to have really skilled, empathetic staff on there who also have the ability to be assertive when needs be, who have the ability to, to sell, sell uh, the idea of repaying it, but also listen out for, for warning signs. And you need to keep them and not have them poached by another department who's maybe not getting yelled at quite as much. So. It must be uh, one of the bigger challenges. And one of my, I guess in some ways, he was a bit of a mentor. But when I was doing collections all those years ago, we hired on a small training company and they came to deliver a, a sales training program for our collectors around Africa. And I was talking to the founder of the company and, and the, the reason he got into training was because he had been working for the guys that sell the network systems, you know, the hardware. And while installing it, he had spoken to 
various people in the call center industry about their biggest problems. And they were just saying staff turnover. So he figured, well, if they keep getting new staff in, let me train them and there's always going to be a job. And he was right. He did very well out of it as a business. But yeah, maybe budgets in in COVID times might have got bumped up a little to make things online and work from home friendly. But very soon again, management are going to say, yeah, collect a bit cheaper, please. Yeah, you've managed these teams. You've overseen the operations of these. I'm sure that's kind of a day-to-day challenge on. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, no one, well, not many people say, oh, I want to call people up for money as my career. A lot of the the people that we get into collections teams are, are younger people and therefore they don't have that life experience and don't understand the, the difficulties that, that people have gone through, particularly if they're a bit older. So they do need to have the right training for the job. These days, there there are specific courses to handle that. I, I really don't think that financial institutions themselves are best catered to do that. I think it's much better to get someone who does specialize in that type of training and then make sure it, it meets your needs. The job itself is not for everyone. You know, you need to have specialists to handle difficult customer situations and you balance that with, you know, the majority of, of the people that are, that are hopefully in that I forgot to pay type thing. So. Mainstream customer interactions via call, via messaging, etc., can still be maintained for efficiency while you have more difficult situations handled separately. So, you know, the main team will be driving the outbound calls, handling the interactive messages. And then just as customers may not want to interact with a person on the phone, which is which is quite common, particularly. You know, we were discussing people who haven't been in collections before. Now, that type of interaction driven by situations like COVID and technology developing, you can do a digital customer journey and avoid those difficult conversations the collector may struggle with and also the customer and still get the right income. So giving the customer the opportunity to choose what channel they wish to interact with will be beneficial for both the organizational in terms of cost and getting the right outcome, as well as, you know, the customer being more comfortable in the channel that they're using. You're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. If you're enjoying it, now is a great time to hit that little plus button to subscribe. And then the oversight of those customer journeys, the outcomes, the solutions means while you have to get the, every interaction right the first time, it makes it easier to get it right the first time. So if you have a digital journey that is fully interactive with a button to say, I need help, then you will get the right type of solution or the right outcome for the customer. Collections teams are expensive. You want the right number of skilled people talking or making the calls at the right time and meeting your service level which should be customer driven. That's being made harder now because bank branches are being closed. You know, you're talking about the number of calls that we make. Is that something that the the customer can choose? If the customer chooses to go online or to interact online, then that's going to be cheaper. We need to also look for, you know, experts or specialists in those fields to see what is there. Because as you've pointed out, bank systems in, in a lot of cases are legacy systems. And in a lot of situations, it's more effective to use vendors to provide those solutions because everything's developing so rapidly. Just like supermarkets versus a corner store, service providers can leverage better rates 
why buy a dialer when you can buy airtime? So in those types of situations, it's about providing the customer with the option that they want because they'll respond better. And then you provide the solution that the customer wants and it's going to cost you less to do so. That should be the ultimate aim, interacting with the customer when it makes sense to and the customer will respond and then you get the right outcome. Yeah, which is it's more ambitious, but also more, I'd say, valid goal to have than maybe 10, 20 years ago. All the talk was just about outsourcing. Let's get a call center set up in India. They can do it for a fraction of the price and we will save in costs what we lose in in lost collections. And and let's go ahead with the increased customer protection regulations around the world. And I think give some credit to the lenders as well, a better awareness of the role that this can play in in the consumer's lives and their sort of duty of care. It now does sound like the move is let's forget about just trying to outsource to the cheapest possible place. Let's focus on the best vendors, the best solutions to make this work. And you mentioned there that you know COVID's obviously forced perhaps a little bit of a speeding up in some cases of opening up digital journeys. What's when COVID hit <laughs> all of two years ago now, the initial fear was obviously, okay, here comes a a huge recession. And if we look at GDP numbers, the biggest recession in 100 years or thereabouts, if not longer. And that obviously brought to mind immediately some fears that this is going to be catastrophic for the credit industry. Then the governments and the the industry got together. There were a lot of programs put out in, in most countries that could afford it. And we started to watch delinquencies. And in fact, what we saw was some people took some payment holidays and got them over some periods. But actually a lot of paying down of expensive risky debt and a credit position that through that first year or two was improving from a risk point of view as nobody spent as much borrowing was largely down and people were using government support to kind of pay off some of their debts. But then we got into the second year, we started heading back towards normal people who had lost their jobs and been getting some support. That support has largely ended, I think probably in every country now. And we're starting to perhaps see the wave of genuine risk as the people that have been left behind, the people that are permanently unemployed come through. Are we seeing the impacts of COVID yet in collections? Has COVID changed the way collections are done? Was it the big impact it could have been or has it actually been limited mainly to speeding up by a few years, the move to digital? I think you raise a a number of good points. And yes, probably most of those points are valid. I think the government or, or regulator programs that were put in has definitely helped in terms of those people that, that are impacted. And most of those those people that are impacted the most are in the lower income segment. So has COVID changed the collections world? Yes, it has. Whilst collections has always had customer treatment programs in place, which have been primarily for natural disasters, floods, earthquakes, as well as people being made redundant in specific country economic crisis. This this pandemic, I think, it's put a lot of focus on how we help our customers through these difficult times. I mentioned before that in a number of cases, it's situations that are outside their control. So this focus hasn't just come from senior management, it's come from regulators, consumer bodies and governments, given the impact that pandemic has had on economies and you know how people are, are living their lives. So lockdowns, the need to work from home or stay at home has rapidly increased the use of online solutions. So chat tools, video calls. 
So investment has been made available to improve customer interaction channels. And, you know, that has sped up what uh, has been available. And as funding has become available, those interaction channels have been put in place. So it's a positive outcome for a very terrible pandemic. We did discuss that it also meant that a lot of customers who never have or never expected to interact with a collections department were pushed that way. So ideally, analytics and um, strategies were developed to handle those people separately and, you know, in a, in a different manner because their, their situation is, is entirely different. In the situation that most people I'm expecting are in today, there will be channels and solutions for customers in financial difficulty to either contact us or for us to contact them and identify uh, issues before they go overdue or are in a worse situation so that tailor-made solutions can be provided. There, There hasn't been any huge issues with the way that portfolios have behaved, as you said, because of those interventions. However, obviously, now inflation will be a key factor and inflation is is very high in in a number of countries. And therefore, as as you've said, whilst people's uh, spending has gone down to a certain degree, whilst they're more careful because they're worried about their income, the costs will go up regardless of that now, and that and that could make life difficult moving forward. Yeah, and so I think in terms of the general feeling in the market, we started with horror at what might happen, and then the first year started becoming relatively a case of, well, it could have been a lot worse, and then we went back into the second year, which I think nobody had been counting on, and you know now we're still seeing when is that recovery. I was doing a lot of market overviews for that first few months of, of covid looking at the economic forecasts and talking about whether we'd have this V-shaped recovery. Would it be three months long? Would it be six months long? And then it became 12 months long. And yeah, two years later, yeah, we're not nearly in the same level of lockdown, but we're still feeling the effects. We're not in the sort of booming 20s that um, we'd first thought. So it's been an up and down cycle of emotions. There are still some industry sectors now that are going to be dealing with the problems. But yeah, people that were brought into contact with the collections, even I think just through, through the headlines, hopefully there's this awareness now, actually, if I'm in a private recession, I'm losing my job, or I've got some other issues, maybe I can go and ask for the same thing. So I actually just recorded an interview today with DebtMD, a company out of the States that help consumers when they're in sort of tricky debt situations to decide what their best way forward is. And I spoke to IE Hub here in the UK late last year, who also sort of help consumers in collections and keep hearing that sort of repeated message that if we can get consumers less scared of collections, we can hopefully have them having that conversation beforehand when there's still a chance of recovery. They haven't gone and taken out a few payday loans to try and get by. They haven't put everything onto minimum payment and taken out a second credit card but let's get people talking sooner and working with lenders. So kind of the bad side of those early days of pay me now or something bad will happen, that attitude as men consumers try and avoid what they think will be conflict. You know, it shouldn't be a stigma to it. This can happen to anybody. You know, when you're talking about human behavior and how we interact with people in difficult situations, I'm obviously interested in how that works with with sport. Being comfortable in uncomfortable situations is something that we have to live with in our careers. 
and and also in the sporting field. And the more that you become comfortable with uncomfortable situations as time goes on and as you have that experience, and I've been there before so I can handle it, is something that's very important. So you do see now if you go into your into bank websites or financial institution websites, you will see, you know, if you need help, go here. There's a lot of financial education available um, on the front pages so that you can read through that yourself before even if you haven't got a financial difficulty situation. So I think that that has all been triggered by this as well. So education's a, a key thing. But just getting back to customers who who haven't interacted with collections or, or people that have, when you hear or see the word collections or collections department, as you said, what does it trigger in your mind? And I, I don't think that's necessarily positive. And if the person on the end of the phone is actually designated as a collector, what is their mindset? Whilst training will take care of some of that, shouldn't we be trying to change that perception in the first place? So, you know, why call it collections? Call it credit solutions or financial service advisor or, or something like that, whilst making sure it's compliant, it has a, has a better ring and a feel to it than saying I'm, I'm collecting because ultimately collecting only means one thing. It doesn't mean providing solutions for people. Yeah, and you know, words do matter and it does translate through to things like performance appraisals and budgets when the head of the collections team gets to the end of the year. Yeah, the boss is going to ask, how much did you collect? If you're head of credit solutions, then you're going to get asked, how many problems did you solve? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You know, the, the lender made that loan to you as part of one of 10,000, one of 100,000 loans they issue. They've expected some to go bad as part of their business decision they made. You know, as long as you've been on the up and up, something went wrong in your life, if you just can't actually afford it now. That was actually baked into the lender's decision up front. We can't take this too personally. We need to have a situation that says, look, yeah, we all went in with our eyes open. This has gone wrong. Let me help you get out of the situation without going too far the other way. You know, we know that there's a lot of debt write-off, debt recovery type operations going on that don't have the client's better interest at heart. But to head that direction, giving our, our teams sort of the bold target of solving problems rather than collecting funds. I think ultimately it's about providing benefit for not just the customer, but for the the employees and then obviously the shareholder. So 
as you said, the ultimate goal shouldn't be to collect money. I mean, at the end of the day, if your customer relationship is over 20 or 30 years, then if you help them through this one situation, then you know the relationship benefit is more long-term rather than this, just a short-term outcome. Yeah, you raised a really interesting point there with the staff because you know, I've been forgetting about them in this, this discussion largely and talking about the lender and, and the borrower. But most big companies these days will have somewhere in their, their vision or their yeah, their marketing material about how their staff are their number one asset, how much they care about their staff. But if you're given a team of people, you know, if you've got your staff out there and their job is to collect debt that's overdue, most of the time they're going to be collecting money from people that are going through some sort of trauma at their personal level. Money is tight almost by definition, and you're out there collecting. So even if you do your job well, you said it's emotionally taxing. Plus, on top of that, a lot of people are just going to be very unpleasant to you because of the stress they're under. If you truly value your staff, you've got to have big questions about, am I paying somebody to do something that's actually fulfilling, that's actually helping them in their whole rounded life? So it's not just about the borrower, not just about getting better returns overall, but it is about creating a team that has a more fulfilling job to do because if somebody can solve a problem in collections that's really good you know if you can help somebody at their worst that's very fulfilling so a very small or relatively small change in mindset in in targets in in the role moving towards that credit solutions changes a role that somebody has to do every day from something quite unpleasant to something that could be very fulfilling so yeah i'm glad you you mentioned the staff I mean, I guess that's where it's great to have you on with your experience working with collections teams. I feel like we will talk about borrowers and lenders every episode on the show, but I often forget to talk about the staff that are doing these these roles. And so, yeah, as we started by saying, 25 years ago, you, you left New Zealand, traveled you know, through Asia, Europe, Latin America, and back again. What are your next plans? What's What's next for you? So yeah, it has been a, an amazing career and, and obviously lifestyle. I've really enjoyed working with different cultures and understanding how people think. And ultimately, it is something that you cherish. You know, life life is short. You need to focus on the things that are important to you. So just as the industry has changed, you know, my mindset has, has also changed. So it's all about work-wise, it's all about customer experience, the journey, getting it right every time rather than just um, trying to collect money. I think that ultimately change is, is not easy. But as I said before, if you understand change um, and you get used to being comfortable with the uncomfortable, then it's very satisfying when you know your customers are happy and they give you good feedback. Um, the teams that that are that are working um, with you are happy, and and therefore you achieve your your goals as a result. So, as I said, my priorities have changed now. I've been away for a long time. I've come back to spend time with my dad, who's who's getting on. And, it, you know, it was part of, of my plan to always come back because it's a wonderful country. And I think that you need to plan things ahead. So, you know, you need to think about what's important to you and, and go do it. With the pandemic, I think people's mindset has also changed because their situation has changed. So, you know, you think about those things that are important to you or may have been important and are not so important now. So, I had the opportunity to uh, sell from Hong Kong, where I was based, 
to Fiji with some friends. It was a, a wonderful offshore experience for someone who's only done coastal sailing. When I got to Fiji two months later, lockdowns were in place. Couldn't fly to New Zealand because quarantine rooms were also fully booked. So I had a few weeks working out my contingency options and ended up sailing down. There's a lot of Kiwi sail to Fiji for the New Zealand winter. So I got a berth back on a boat being delivered to a new owner. You may think that that's a little bit strange. It is. Going offshore is, is a big challenge compared to coastal sailing. There's a lot of difficulties to deal with. And I learned a lot about sailing, a lot about myself, you know, handling challenges outside my comfort zone. But I think I'm, I'm a better person for it. And I really enjoyed it. Something that we all need to do in our lives, move, move out of the comfort zone, right? Time is short, make the most of it. This is actually my first podcast as well. So I'm also trying to do something different and, and learn. So thanks very much, uh, Brendan, for the opportunity. Uh, no, thank you for, for being on. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I could do the, the yacht delivery. I know it's quite popular in Cape Town. There's some big catamaran builders out there. And so a few people go and do that sort of delivery. Like, oh, we need to go deliver it up to the Bahamas or somewhere. But no, I think that the first day a big storm came, I wouldn't be very happy. So yeah, well done on that. I think uh, a great challenge to take on. You know, most people will tell you, and, and just like anything else, doing a, a business project or whatever, it's the preparation that, that's the key thing. So, you know, making sure the, the boat is, is ready, making sure you've got the provisions, but more importantly, as you mentioned, making sure you've got the right weather forecast and the, and the window to get to where you want to go without having something big come along and, uh, and wreck it for you. But, you know, those things happen. Chris, thank you again. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to rate and subscribe on your platform of choice and to share it wide on LinkedIn. While you're there, send me a connection request. How to Lend Money to Strangers is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, outside of Maidstone, England. And today, it's edited by Esteban Delpino, who is also responsible for the show's excellent theme tune under his stage name, I Am Wake. Find him on Fiverr for your own music and audio needs. And find me next Thursday or if you're listening to this, or on YouTube, you then are too. Hi, it's me again. I have a pile of my books sitting here that I'd like to ship off before I have to move house again. And at the same time, I'm interested in learning a little bit more about my listeners. So if you would like a copy of Draken or Butterfly Hill and you don't mind sharing your address, drop me an email. It's brendan at howtolendmoneytostrangers.show and I'll send one over. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.